0: This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Richard Days talks about the life of Emil Capin. What did he do that was so heroic? Does Father Emil deserve to be declared a saint? Well, let's find out. Father Rich is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, George Toman.
1: With me, I have Father Richard days. I'm going to give a further introduction a little bit later.
2: But Father, if you would, please lead us in our opening prayer for the 12 o'clock hour. Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. amen. Father Emil Capon gave glory to God by following his call to the priesthood, and thus serving the people of Kansas and those in the military. Father Capon, I ask your intercession not only for the needs which we hold in the si- silence of our hearts, but that we, too, may follow your example of service to God and to our neighbor. For the gifts of courage in battle and the perseverance of faith, we give you thanks, O Lord. Amen. In front of me today, live in
1: studio, we have Father Richard Days. He has served our country for 28 years as a military um veterinarian before making the decision to serve God as a priest. He was ordained in 2010, served as the pastor of St. Mary's Church in Ellis, and is currently the pastor of Sacred Heart Parish and School in Colby. He is the vicar of clergy for the Diocese of Salina, as well as a moderator for the Di- for the Salina Diocese Rural Life Committee. Father Richard, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. All right. So, Mike, yep, you bet. My question for you here, and this will probably take up a good amount of our time, um, and, I'll, and there's been some updates with Father um, Emo, so I'll be looking forward to your, to your comments on that. Can you give us a story of Father Emo Capin
2: and why he was on the way to sainthood? Well, first of all, he was uh, born on Holy Thursday. Uh, which was April 20th in the year that he was born. I'm not going to give that away. I'm going to let somebody win their uh, their uh, the drawing on that. But anyway, it was Holy Thursday, and if you think back on a, on our church history and also on the uh, history of uh, the Passion. At the Last Supper, Jesus instituted two sacraments. One of them was the Holy Eucharist, which we all are aware of, but he also instituted the sacrament of holy orders. So it was almost like he tapped his little baby on the head and said, I've got plans for you. So almost from birth, Father Emil was destined to be a priest as he grew up on a farm there in Pilsen. And Pilsen is a very small town. It's about 40 miles straight south of Junction City. And uh, when I first drove there the first time, I thought it was just a church in the middle of a wheat field, but there's a little town around it. It's, uh, but anyway, he served Mass, uh, daily Mass, and um, after he was ordained, uh, they sent him back there because it was a Czech community. And, for instance, there's a, we have a Czech community in our diocese at Cuba. There's one at Timken, which is kind of southeast of uh, Hayes here. And, of course, the capital of the uh, Czech communities in Kansas is at Wilson. So, basically, he was sent back there because he could speak Czech. And it's not usually considered a good idea to send somebody back to their hometown. I mean— I ain't going to go to confession to you. I saw you uh, as a little brat growing up. I, and so, and Father Capon also felt the same way. A lot of times he'd wear a hood so to kind of f- muffle the voice so he couldn't recognize it, as well as not being able to see who it was. And so in spite of all of that, that was the reason he was sent back to Pilson after he was ordained. Now, the, this was during the early days he was— um, uh, let's see, he was ordained in 1940 in, I think it was June 9th, at St. John's uh, Chapel, which is on Newman University now. They had, uh, the Diocese of Wichita had Father Capon uh, year from 2015 to 2016. They also had a special mass to uh, commemorate his ordination. And uh the chapel there, they had the air conditioning running 24 hours a day for two days to cool it down, and it still wasn't very cool. <laughs> so as Bishop Kimmy uh, mentioned after Mass was over, he said, can you imagine what it must have been like in June with all those heavy vestments? The ordination is a lot longer then than it is now. He said, people must have really been suffering. But he said, that's what you do for your faith. So anyway, after he was ordained, he was back at Pilsen. Well, all over Kansas, because we have a lot of wide open spaces, there were a lot of army airfields established, both for training as well as, uh, as just to kind of get everybody up to speed for the war. And so there was one uh, not too far from, uh, from Pilsen, and he would go up and offer mass and uh, to support the service members at the airbase. And so he asked the bishop if he could go join the military. And the bishop, after some consideration, allowed him to join the military. So he served at several different places. He was at Camp Wheeler in Georgia. Of course, he went to the Army Chaplaincy School at Fort Devens, Massachusetts. And then in about March 1945, uh, the war in Europe was about over, but he was sent to the China, India, Burma Theater, and he was in Burma and India until May 1946. In uh, January 1946, he was promoted the rank of captain. And then in June 1946, because most of the guys, when they enlisted, it was for the duration plus six months. So a lot of times the World War II veterans would refer to themselves as class of 46, because most of them got out in June of 1946. So he separated from the service. He went to uh, Catholic University in Washington, D.C., and got a master's degree in education. And then he came back for a very short period of time near the Hayes area, near Timken. He was there for about six months. And the people just loved him. He loved uh, the people there. He spent a lot of time at the bowling alley. (laughs) And um, he had three uh, weddings. And I think there were seven in his first communion class. Uh, they had a during the year of Father Cape they had a, a memorial down there, a mass and uh, the bishop was there. and so I drove down for that special occasion. And at least two of the couples that were, he was the officiated their marriage were present. And I think three of the seven, of his first communicants were also present there. It reported that he really loved the town. He hated to leave, but he felt called to come back to the service. So he asked permission. He went back into the Army in 1948. And then in ni- January 1950, he went to, was part of the uh, Army of Occupation for Japan. And then in Je- July... Uh, the North Koreans attacked the South Koreans, and it uh, began the Korean conflict. So his unit was uh, shipped over because they were trying to to block what was going on, and they really weren't prepared. Because I mean, they'd had pretty easy duty as that occupation force in Japan. The Japanese were not giving any problems, so they weren't drilling a lot. So things weren't pretty rough. If you remember your American history, they had what they call the Pusan Perimeter. Pusan is down in the southeast corner of Korea. And there was about a 90-mile range, a circle, around Pusan that the UN forces, they'd been forced completely out of Korea except for there. So Father Capon was uh, assigned there. And then uh, General MacArthur came up with an end around round play, and he landed troops at Inchon. Now, the tide difference at Inchon is tremendous. Everybody thought it was impossible. Apparently, everybody except General MacArthur. So they successfully landed the troops. They cut off most of the North Korean army, and they started pushing them all the way back. And they pushed them almost all the way to the Yalu River, which is the border between Korea and China. Well, at that time, Communist China started infiltrating some of their troops in, and so they surrounded many of the United Nations forces. If you have any friends who are Marines, they can tell you all about the Chosin Reservoir, then the frozen Chosin, and how they had to fight their way out. Father Emil was uh, part of the 8th Cavalry Regiment, and his unit was surrounded also. And the order gave, came to every able-bodied person is to break out, and they'll reassemble further south. Well, Father Emil refused to leave the wounded. So he was captured. And as they were starting to lead him off the battlefield, some of the Americans were still around, and they shot all of the uh, guys that were guarding him, so he's free again. So he went back to help the, the, uh, the wounded. And once again, he was captured. But during his capture, he had saw a wounded Chinese officer. And I don't know if the officer spoke English, but regardless, Father Emil was able to convince him to negotiate a surrender because a lot of times the uh, Koreans and the Chinese were not taking prisoners they were, because if they were advancing, they didn't want to be t- tied up. So the Chinese officer was able to negotiate, and they wa- um, uh, were taken back to a couple of POW camps in North Korea. And all total, I think they uh, were marched about 40 miles. Now, during this, if you ever get to Pusan or you've seen the statue of Father Emil helping a wounded soldier, that soldier was uh, Sergeant Herbert Miller, and he had a broken ankle. as they was marching along, he fell, and the uh, Chinese guard was about to kill him. But all of a sudden, this little guy pushes the guard out of the way and helps Sergeant Miller get up. I say, little guy, Father Emil was only about 135 pounds. I don't remember how, of course, he, when I met him, he was a lot older. But I don't know how much Sergeant Miller weighed, but he probably was at least that much, if not more. And Father Emil uh, helped him along and, partially, and carried him part of the way. Now... You would have expected if something would have happened that the guard would have shot both of them. But he was so surprised that somebody pushed him out of the way that he didn't do anything. So that in itself was a, a very good coincidence. Father Emil also convinced all of the other soldiers. And seeing his example, they started helping the other folks who were, began to fall out, were wounded or hurt. And they helped all of them get to the camp. Basically, once they got there, it, and it's customary to separate the enlisted from the officers. So the officers were in one camp and the enlisted were in another. So Father Emil would uh, sneak out at night and go over and visit the enlisted to give them encouragement to, offer, uh, to lead prayer services and uh, to keep them um, well-motivated as well as the officers. He also, because he grew up on a farm, it was pretty handy and so he'd find pieces of um, of tin or uh, corrugated steel and he beat that into pans and uh or, or bowls and he'd boil water and so every morning he'd offer somebody a cup of coffee well it was just a, a cup of boiled water but it was something to refresh him it was also almost the corporal work of mercy of greeting uh, welcoming the stranger uh, he also prayed to saint dismas who was known as the good thief because a lot of times when he break out at night, he'd break into the uh, North Korean supply stores and steal food. Actually, he was liberating food. We don't steal in the Army. We liberate. <laughs> so he was liberating food for the uh, inmates. And he encouraged them very much to share with each other. A lot of other camps, yes, they did, uh, when they got at something, it was all mine. There was no sharing. But Father Capon, uh, for most part, in Camp Number 5, everyone shared uh, what they could. Also, there was having as many as 12 a day dying because of starvation, because of uh, disease, because of lice and dysentery. And so it was a task that nobody wanted to do, but he would volunteer to help bury the dead. Now, they would take the clothes and he would wash those and clean them up so that someone else could use those clothes and the blankets. He also took a blanket and he made uh, socks for some of the inmates uh, inmates some of the prisoners so that they would have dry socks to, to wear and he did this uh, the, he was captured in November and but in uh, 1950 he developed a, a blood clot in his leg he also had uh, he was suffering from dysentery himself mm-hmm. and so on t- May 23rd 1951 uh, was when he died in the quote hospital that they had at uh, camp number five and a lot of the prisoners didn't want the guards to take him away because they knew it wasn't a hospital it was a death house but, uh, the north koreans saw a chance to get rid of some of one of their biggest headaches by taking him away and he did he died of starvation and of dysentery and as well as his blood clot on may 20 uh, may may 23rd 1951 hmm, sure all about
1: right. that day yeah no, that's good there father it's now
2: well, essentially, uh, he really uh, inspired all of the, the whole Camp Five. A friend of our family, uh, Hershey Monomirto from Gallup, New Mexico, was awarded the Medal of Honor during his, uh, the Korean conflict. He was also captured. And when the, someone asked him about it, he said someone like Father Capon could have made a big difference uh, because he kept people from giving up. He also was inspiring to a lot of them. There was a later prisoner of war a captain and i can't recall his name but he was a jewish he wasn't even christian had heard a lot about father uh, emil and so he uh, carved out of wood that he found there in the camp a crucifix and he used barbed wire from the camp for the uh, uh, crown of thorns now in 19 after the uh, ceasefire when they had exchange of prisoners the guys in camp five smuggled that crucifix and it's fairly large it's about four feet high they smuggled it out with them and brought it back and it is now down at cape and mount carmel high school in wichita now there was a gentleman was a car dealer in Gallup, New Mexico, he was so inspired by Father Capon that he had a, a exact replica carved. And he started out in Gallup, and he would carry it every weekend. He'd carry it so far, and then mark the place, then he'd go back to work on the, during the week. He'd come back out the following Friday night, where he'd left off, and he carried that all the way to Pilsen as a kind of a pilgrimage. And uh, you can see that if you go down to visit Pil- uh, Pilsen, you'll see the exact replica of the cross that was carved. What was so interesting was this captain, being not, besides being Jewish, he didn't arrive to the camp until after. He never met Father Kippon, but he was so inspired by the testimony that all the other uh, prisoners gave that he was inspired to carve the crucifix. This gentleman, the car, uh, the, uh, car dealership owner, who also has had one of uh, Father Capon holding up his pipe, where he uh, he was—that's the other thing that inspired me. He was a pipe smoker. Now, I never <laughs> smoked in my life, but if I'd ever taken up anything, it would have been a pipe. Well, anyway, a sniper shot it out of his mouth, so he's holding up his pipe, and there's just a little bit of a stem left on it. This uh, gentleman in Gallup, New Mexico, had another—and it's about four foot high—statue of uh, Father Capon carved— holding up his pipe with the uh, nice. short stem. So all of those are down at, um, at, uh, at uh, Pilsen. So if you get a chance to go down there, please go. Absolutely. I personally had never even heard of the man until 2000, when I was my last assignment. I was assigned to Fort Leavenworth, and they, I heard that they were going to dedicate a Korean War Memorial at Pilsen, Kansas. So I drove down there. That's the first time I'd heard of Capen Mount Carmel High School. But it didn't mean anything because there was Wichita. I grew up in northwest Kansas. So, but <laughs> then I heard the story about Father Capon. And it really inspired me. And ever so often they said, you know, the first Sunday in June is Father Capon Sunday. So they would always have mass there at uh, uh, Pilsen. But he was also not only being sponsored for sainthood by the Diocese of Salina, but also the Archdiocese of the Military Service. Mm. So they would pick, they picked Veterans Day to have a pilgrimage, and they walk about 60 miles to uh, to Pilsen, and they offer Mass. The first uh, uh, three or four years, they had one of the auxiliary bishops from the Archdiocese of the Military Service come and celebrate Mass on Veterans Day. So again, I drove down. Every first Sunday in June and every Veterans Day, and I kept getting this little nudge. And um, plus, there was a lot in common. He was a farm boy. So was I. He was in the Army. So was I. He served in Korea. So did I. And so all of a sudden, and I can't prove this, and uh, they can't send this in as a miracle, but I think he's the reason I'm a priest today. I think besides the little nudges, he finally kicked me in the seat of the pants and got me in the seminary. So I think uh, those of you from Ellis and those of you from Colby who would like to have a better priest, blame Father Capon because I'm the reason I'm there.
0: We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more about Father Emil Capon. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Father Emil Capon. With Father Richard Days. George Toman conducts the interview.
1: So Father, what else would you like to share for us?
2: Um, well, essentially, very recently, they found his remains. All these years, since about 2000, when I, and I've taken—I took uh, the 4th, 5th, and 6th graders from Ellis, uh, I think three, about three years. We took them down to uh, a visit to Pilsen. I've taken uh, two groups from um, Colby down, and it's a long drive from Colby. But, but all these years, I've been telling everybody that Father Capon was buried in a uh, mass grave near the Yalu River in North Korea. Well, very recently, a bunch of the parishioners almost broke down the door of (laughs) of the rectory trying to tell me they found Father Capon's remains. And we had confirmation two weeks ago, and a lot of the confirmation students, of course, they had been fourth and fifth graders at Colby, and now they're in the 8th grade. They were wanting to make sure I knew that Father Capon had been found. What had happened apparently was in about 1954, when the, during the Reformation, they brought back about uh, over a thousand unknown troops, and they were interned in the National Cemetery in Hawaii, and near Honolulu. It's called the Punch Bowl, because it was a, a volcano at one point. And when I was stationed in Hawaii, I take all the visitors. We'd go up and visit the uh, Punch Bowl, and a lot of times I go up by myself. Now, I may well have visited Father Emil's grave and didn't know it because it had been marked yeah. unknown. I did always visit Ernie Pyle, who was a war correspondent, a very famous war correspondent from World War II, and also Ansuko, who was the, one of the astronauts that went down the Challenger. Both of them are interned in the uh, in the uh, cemetery there at the Punch Bowl, but. At Hickam Air Force Base, they have, the DOD has a laboratory for identifying remains. So quite often, when they find, come across a uh, plane that went down during World War II, they recover the remains, take them back, and try and identify who it was. And they have pretty good luck with World War II, because planes would usually go in about 300 miles an hour at the most. During uh, Vietnam, it was a little more difficult because jets go a lot faster, and by the time they hit, it it pretty much disintegrates everything. But they still have been able to recover some remains that they can try and identify through DNA, and Father Capon was one of them that they were able to identify. At this time, as far as I know, his remains are still in Hawaii, and they will eventually be sent to Arlington National Cemetery, where they'll be held until the family determines what they want to do. I suspect he will be brought home to Pilsen for burial. I don't know that for a fact, but I suspect that's probably what will happen. The only unfortunate thing is if they could have done it eight years ago when his brother Eugene was still alive, it would have been so much greater. But yeah. it didn't happen. Where Where is he at in the canonization process,
1: Is and what can we do to help? What are some of the practical ways that we can do as a listening audience here?
2: Well, basically— it always helps to pray. And um, I will probably, sometime before I get kicked off the air, uh, give you a prayer that you can pray for his eventual canonization. He was declared the servant of God. But then the next thing, in fact, last March, they were going to uh, to go to the po- uh, Pope Francis to have him declared venerable, which actually they check his uh, history and everything to find out if he did lead a venerable life. As a servant of God, he had an admirable life, so they checked all of his life history, they checked his writing to see if he wrote anything that was against the theology and the doctrines of the church, and then they kind of checked also his life. Did he lead a virtuous life? And if he did, then he would have been declared venerable. They were just ready to do that when the COVID 19 pandemic, uh, hit, pandemic yeah. hit, and that called everything to a halt. Hopefully, within the next year, he will be declared venerable. venerable. There is also a move to, to see if he can be declared a martyr. And if he's declared a martyr, he will become beatified as blessed. That happened to another farm boy in Oklahoma by the name of, escapes me now, Stanley Grother. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was murdered in. Uh, guatemala and uh, so the uh, the pope declared that he was a martyr so he was beatified and we're also hoping for his eventual uh canonization as a saint uh-huh. i believe both of them are standing in the presence of god which by itself is a definition of what a saint is so in my mind it doesn't matter what the church says he's already <laughs> a saint and um but anyway, I think he will be declared venerable very soon. There are several miracles that have already been forwarded. In addition to his history, very Father John Hotsey is the person that's uh, collecting other thing uh, for the Diocese of Wichita. He said it's very rare, but they usually uh, they was no questions asked about his history. Usually, they come back to get clarification on something, and the. Um, A committee in Rome had no questions at all about his history, which I thought was very remarkable. That is. The other thing that was kind of interesting, Father uh, uh, Hatsi knows my background as well, and so he called me and he uh, said—this was about two years ago—he said they are wanting to see how Father Emil Capon's influence on present-day life. And so he said, can you tell them a story about how you became a priest— So I wrote it up using the very same terminology I just did about getting kicked in the seat of the pants, and I (laughs) sent it down to him, and I said, you can uh, clean it up any way you need to. He wrote back, and he said, I think it's fine the way it is. So that has gone to Rome as well. Now, wonderful. Well, touching just a little bit, Father Emil is the most uh, decorated chaplain in the history of the United States Army. All of the prisoners coming out, declared that he was actually a saint and wanted the church to immediately to declare that. But he was awarded several uh, campaign ribbons during World War II, several during Korea. He was awarded a Bronze Star with a V attachment shortly after they arrived in Korea. There was a uh, GI that was caught out in the open. And so he and another officer went out under intense machine gun fire, and they rescued that soldier. So he was awarded the Bronze Star with a V device for valor under uh, combat situations. He was also awarded the Distinguished Service Cross, so he had uh, quite a few. But uh, people were insisting that his conduct in combat, as well as his, especially his conduct after being a prisoner of war, merited uh, him to receive the Medal of Honor. Several of the uh, congressmen in the Kansas delegation— Petitioned, the Chief of Staff of the Armed Services uh, reviewed it and agreed that he was worthy of it. So I think it was in 2013, President uh, Barack Obama awarded the Medal of Honor to his nephew. If they had done it two years sooner, again, Eugene would have been alive to to receive the Medal of Honor. So that's another reason for taking the kids down to Pilsen. Most Americans have never seen a real honest-to-goodness Medal of Honor, and they have Father Emil's down at uh, Pilsen on display there so people can (laughs) see it. But, yeah, it's uh, just an amazing individual. You often think, could I have done that, and in my heart of hearts, I don't think so. I don't think I would have had the determination that he did or the sacrifice that he did to do all of these things and to care for all of the the service members under his care. Well, there are several possible miracles. Now, ordinarily, you'd think about, okay— he led an admirable life, so they got him declared a servant of God. Then they examined all of his, his history, his writings, and everything to see if there was anything contrary to church doctrine. Now that doesn't necessarily uh, disavow it, because think of St. Augustine. My gosh, he had several things there that you never think of him being a saint, yep. and he's one of the greatest fa- uh, saints, uh, one of our founding fathers of the church. So that, But they, uh, all of these things are examined very closely and everybody says well what's taking so long the church doesn't get in a hurry on these things they're very meticulous and very careful on it so ordinarily after they're venerable then you start looking for apostles you need a miracle from unless they're a martyr you need a miracle for their beatification to be declared blessed and then you need a second miracle in order for them to be canonized as a saint well we've got uh, three uh, possible miracles that they've explored in depth and forwarded all the way to rome one of them happened in 2006 avery girlman i may mispronounce her name she had an autoimmune disorder and entered into an 87-day coma due to multiple organs were damaged So her parents and a lot of others in the community started praying for Father Emil's intercession, and she recovered. And later scans of her damaged lungs and kidneys showed no sign of scarring at all. Now, they had two physicians write it up. One was a pediatrician. The other was a nephrologist or a kidney doctor. And this, uh, the story goes that they would go in and they have a very brave face and tell them we're doing all we can. We'd have hopes this. And then those two doctors would go retreat to the doctor's lounge and cry their eyes out because they didn't know what was wrong with this little girl. And anyway, she made a complete recovery. And believe it or not, she is now a registered nurse on the very same ward that she was a patient many years ago. <laughs> wow. So the other one wow. is probably more well-known. It was um, in 2008, at the, uh, or actually uh, 2008, the opening ceremony uh, for his cause for sainthood was held at St. John Nepomucene Catholic Church in Pilsen. And on June 26, 2009... Dr. Ambrio Ambrosi, who was the Roman postulator for his cause, arrived in Wichita to interview doctors about another miracle. Now, this is a claim of, a 20, at that time, 20-year-old Chase Keir, who was also attended Fort Hayes State University, and I think he was actually out for track, or at least he assisted in coaching track here at Fort Hayes State. Now, what had happened was he was a pole vaulter, and he missed the pit. So in other words, when he came down, instead of hitting on that nice, comfortable area, he missed and cracked his head on the concrete and fractured his skull. Ordinarily, that would have been instant death, but it wasn't. So anyway, all of his friends and family started praying for Father Emil Capin's intercession. And it took quite a while, but he eventually made a full recovery. Now, he did something I'm not sure I would have done. About 10 days after he made, and it, this was several months later, he did a, another pole vaulting. Now, it was only a, about a 10 yards. You take about three steps, and you pole vault about 10 feet. But I'm not sure I'd ever picked up a pole vault ever again in my life. Yeah. But he did. He went on to help coach it. And now he's working in, a, I believe, in a—he's uh, working somewhere, I think, in an aircraft industry in Wichita. But there was a third one that uh, I don't know too much about. I just heard about it. In 2011, uh, there was a gentleman that collapsed uh, during a 5K run, and they were sure that he was dead. In fact, there was no, no signs of life. But he made a miraculous recovery as well. So those three, they've pretty carefully documented. As Father John Hotsy said, there are several others. But yes. he said it takes a lot of effort to get all of those documented, so they're just holding to see if they really need those others. There, we go. there are probably lots of other miracles, but it's difficult to prove them. So practically all of the miracles that they submit in, in the modern day are of, of a medical miracle because— the, they have a panel of doctors, and most of them aren't Catholic. Some of them aren't even Christian. Some of them are avowed atheists who go through and they try and tear that apart to show that, yes, uh, medically, that we could have done this. And so the miracles like mine, where I think it was a miracle that I became a priest— there's no way we can prove that, so that's not even submitted. But a medical miracle like Chase Keir or like the young lady with the autoimmune disease, those the doctors can go through and they can search and say, well, there is no medical explanation, so we have no objection. They probably won't endorse it as a miracle, but they will say we have no objection. So, And that's why practically all of them are, are medical miracles. Okay. But, uh Father Emil has definitely been busy since he... Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: Father, my, my my last question to you, and then I'll leave it up to to whatever else you'd like to talk about for our remaining time. What would it mean for the dioceses in Kansas if Father Capon was eventually declared a saint?
2: Well, it's kind of nice to have your own personal saint. So all of the farmers in Kansas can, besides calling on uh, St. Isidore, who is the patron saint of farmers, saying... Uh, Father Emil, you used to be a farm boy. We need some help here. So it would be nice you have—it's almost like you have your own personal saint. Obviously, he's worldwide, and anyone can pray to him and ask for his intercession, they can do that now. In fact, they do do that now. I would especially suspect that in Korea, there's several people praying to Father Emil. There's several army chapels that have a stained glass window dedicated to his memory. There's even a few chapels that are dedicated. There's one at Fort Riley, Kansas, that's dedicated to Father Emile. The military definitely would look to him. There have been, since the Civil War, there have been five, only five Catholic chaplains There are all the chaplains that have received the Medal of Honor have been Catholic since the war between the states. And two of them, Father Emil and Father Vincent Cappadocia, who is the grunt padre. He was a, a Navy chaplain who was serving with the Marines in Vietnam. Both of them are servants of God. And hopefully someday, someday soon, I hope... Because I'm getting a lot of gray hair now, I would like to have it before uh, in my lifetime have them both uh, canonized as yeah. saints of God. Well, basically, as I I was to spend almost 28 years in the army, so I got to see a lot of the world, and I got uh, two master's degrees, thanks to all of you wonderful taxpayers that paid for it, <laughs> and I'm very grateful for that. But after coming back and uh, Everybody says, well, where would you have liked to have lived? I said, well, you see where I came back to. I came back to western Kansas. And so I decided... I need to see Kansas. I've seen the world, but I need to see Kansas. So I encourage all of you to go to Pilsen sometime. On Tuesday afternoons, they give tours. If you have a group, give them a call. They'll set something up for you. And especially the first Sunday in June and Veterans Day, they have a very special commemorative for Father Emil Capon or Capon. Depends on whether you're German or Czech, how you pronounce it. (laughs) And uh, so I would encourage you to put that on your uh, bucket list. List, to see, uh, go to Pilsen sometime in the near future. But see all the rest of Kansas too. We've got a lot to show here. Well, I'd like to uh, lead into the blessing by this prayer. Lord Jesus, in the midst of the folly of war, your servant chaplain Emil Capon spent himself in total service to you on the battlefields and in the prison camps of Korea until his death at the hands of his captors. We ask you now, Lord Jesus, if it be your will, to make known to all the world the holiness of Chaplain Capon and the glory of his complete sacrifice for you by signs of miracles and peace. In your name, Lord, we ask... For you are the source of peace, the strength of our service to others, and our final hope. Amen. Amen. Chaplain Capon, pray for us. us. May the blessings of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. Folks, heaven is not seen, but neither are these airwaves. But if you can help this radio station save souls for heaven, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate where your donation will be seen and appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 101.7 KJDM Lensburg, salina 105.7 KMDG-Hayes, 88.1 KRTT-Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM-Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.